can just like picture me like like pantomiming like a conductor during that intro, you know? Um, you know, waving my hands around, like hitting the cues. Um, you know, because uh, I conduct the podcast, so it makes sense. There, there's a there's precedent for for that, I think. Uh, hello, everyone. This is a uh, oh, sorry, a little mic mic adjustment. Ah, yep, yep. Oh, hey, here we go. Hi, uh, guys. This is and girls and everyone in between. This is Phil May with PH Five, the February twenty twenty three edition. February. Like, why do they name the month that weird ass name? It's so. If you want to say it right, it's it's really a mouthful and and kind of contorts your tongue and lips into many strange positions. Um, most people say February. Fe- February. They forget the R after the B. February. February. Right. Is what people say. But if you look at the spelling, it. It's more of a, a February, February, um, yeah, weird, <laughs> isn't that weird? Uh, so we're gonna talk about music that came out in February, 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 February. This word has completely lost all meaning to me at this point. February. Uh, yeah, which, uh, which was pretty alright, I guess. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been an interesting year. I mean, I don't know if necessarily anything super exciting has come out yet. Uh, there's been a lot of good stuff. You know, I'd go so far as to say there's been some great stuff. But, you know, two months into the year... Um, not to downplay anything that I'm about to talk about, but I, I still don't feel like there's anything that's really, like, ooh, like, you know, album of the year worthy, year-end list worthy, because, of course, that's the only thing that fucking matters, right? Um, that said, you know, there was a lot of great music this month, stoked to talk about it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, nothing quite hitting the way things can hit quite yet. But I have faith, we're still early in. We got 10 more months to go. Um, yeah, so anything could happen. Um, and I actually just listened to an album this morning that uh, really, really, really excited me. Uh, but seeing as how uh, we're now in March in this... Uh, record technically came out in March you're just gonna have to wait a month to figure out what that was but I'll tell you yeah I really really liked it I'm really excited by it Um, one of those records that you uh, have kind of meager expectations for and then it completely blows those expectations out of the water can't wait to find out what that is but for now we're talking about February so uh how about we just start talking about uh, February? Okay. Well, thanks a lot as always for coming along in this wild and wacky ride into, uh, I don't know, quote unquote, music journalism. <laughs> that's, that's a 
that's a very, uh, um, yeah, nice way of putting it. Very, uh, yeah, it's, that's, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call this that. I'd call it just, you know, me talking about some shit. Related to music, in the albums that came out, why don't I just get into it? I'm not really saying much of anything right now, so, without any further adieu, PH5, Season 3, wow, Episode 2, February 2023, and I will never say that month name ever again. So, coming in at number 5 for uh, the month of which name I said I would never say again, not 5 seconds ago, we actually have two albums! Hey! That's right, breaking the rules early, you know? That's what they're meant for, to be broken after all. We have... <laughs> um, the latest two records by Ulthar. And I'll tell you what their name is in a second, but... Before I do that, I kind of want to talk about, like... Why I like this record. Um... The reason being, like, this is just some, what I'm going to refer to as classic metal bullshit, okay? So, Ulthar released two albums on the same day, uh, a few weeks ago. Um, the first album was called uh, F Anthronomicon, and the second album was called Helionomicon. Um, yeah, that, again, classic metal bullshit, right? So, Anthronomicon is a little bit more of your standard fare, you know, there's like eight songs of varying length. Kind of what you think of when you think of like, you know, an album. <laughs> it has songs. Um, and Helionomicon is a, a slightly different beast in that it only contains two songs, uh, each being about 20 minutes long. Now, interestingly enough, if you take a look at the song names on Helionomicon, uh, the first song is called Helionomicon, and the second song is called Anthro Anthronomicon, which is actually the title of the second, uh, or the first record, if you will. Uh, so it's like the, the second song of the two 20-minute long songs is the the name of the other album, which has eight songs on it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just like some classic confounding shit, you know? And here, let's take a look at some of the song names on uh, Anthronomicon. We've got uh, Cephalo Cephalophore, right? Here we go, right? Fractional Fortresses, okay? How about Flesh Propulsion, okay? Oh, here we go. Astronumeral octave chance. Cool. How about coagulation of forms? Mm-hmm. And then we've got a larynx plateau, which is my absolute favorite. Uh, you know, it's basically just like, you know, um, like a, a platform of throat, I guess. Wink. Um, and then, you know, your last song, you've got cultus 
quadrivin quadri quadrivium. So if it's, <laughs> I hope you understand what I mean when I say it's just some classic metal bullshit. Um, which is great. I mean, you need that in your life. I think we all need our, uh, you know, maybe not daily, but occasional dose of that just kind of bullshit. And, you know, song names and uh, kind of absurd album layout aside, the music itself very firmly falls into that category of classic metal bullshit. Um, so they play uh, what, what I guess you would call kind of like a, a, a blackened death metal type of metal. Um, you know, they, they'll occasionally bring in some other influences into the sound, some doomy stuff. You know, every now and then you'll get a nice, like, very thrashy uh, guitar riff or, um, you know, guitar solo. You know, the, the, the growled vocals. Like, you, you, you kind of already know what you're going to listen to when you put this record on. But that's okay, because it delivers on expectations. And, uh, you know, if you have high expectations for it, it'll it'll live up to those. It really depends on how much you can stomach uh, death metal at the end of the day. And how much you like riffs. Because this is very much riff music, where the songwriting is entirely about the riff. Um, and different places you can take the riff, and how you can kind of bend and distort the forms of the riff and, and into different shapes and sizes and whatever it may be. Uh, now, the Helionomicon, the, the long songs one, does have, you know, passages where the music kind of devolves into drones and more, more ambiences and, you know, occasionally some acoustic elements come in, but that's just standard classic fare for this type of music. Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with solid, working-class death metal that isn't afraid to get a little bit adventurous now and then. And that's exactly how I would describe, uh, this pair of Ulthar albums. Um, yeah, so, again, just solid, it, 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 you know, comes to work does the job, does it well, then goes home at the end of the day. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If you're looking for a dose of, you know, some great death metal with some blackened metal and other metal influences, this is going to hit the spot for you. And there really hasn't been anything like that yet this year. So I was kind of craving it, and Ulthar, you delivered on my delicious cravings. So... Coming in at number five for Feb 2023, we have Anthronomicon and Helionomicon by Ulthar. And I said those album names just then without uh, staring at them, which is impressive. Okay, so coming in at number four for the month, we have we have the album Afterlife by Yeet. Okay, so funny story before we kind of get into the 
actual uh, musical genius of Yeet. Uh, so I went to uh, a basketball game this week on Tuesday. Raptors, go Raps. God, they suck. Um, and so I went with my 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 good friend Matthew Bancudi. He's been on this show a few times actually. Um, and he was there with his wife and his brother and uh, his stepson. His stepson is 14 years old. So, had a great time, you know, Raptors actually won, shock. But anyway, the, the, the point I'm trying to get to is yesterday I was just kind of chatting with Matt a little bit, um, and he said, by the way, Orion, who is the, uh, the 14-year-old stepson, um, is obsessed with Yeet, and he, he told me that he, he saw that you were listening to him. <laughs> so, I... Uh, yeah, I had a good laugh at that, knowing that um, as a 32-year-old turning 33-year-old, um, I'm currently listening to the same music that a 14-year-old does. Uh, you know, mixed feelings there. Because, uh, you know, it's good to stay in touch with the youth, for sure. And, uh, you know, what, what they're listening to and youth culture, because, I mean, a, lo- a lot of the times... The kids are the ones really driving forth the uh, the culture and you know you know just progression of, of art forms and whatnot. Um, but that being said, it's it's not too surprising to me that uh, a fourteen year old would love Yeats music because um, up to this point and and still in many ways at this point. It really is some of the uh, like stupidest music maybe ever made. So Yeet is a, a rapper, you could call him that, and he makes uh, what's known as rage music. It's a it's kind of a derivative of trap that uh, Playboy Cardi really popularized. Where you know it's not so much about what is actually you know. The content of the lyrics per se, but it's more about the delivery and the the beats, and it's you know very high energy music, um, you know absolutely choked in auto tune, um, big fuzzy synths and big fuzzy bass, and it it's it 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 borders on almost being like like electronic noise at times. Um, it depends on how willing the particular artists are willing to kind of push the genre itself. So, this would be, I believe, Yeet's third or fourth full-length. Um, he's had a few EPs as well. And I've listened to Yeet stuff in the past, just out of curiosity, because I, I am a Cardi fan, and I do understand the, the similarities. And it's it's never really done it for me. I just kind of thought it was kind of boring and and, and just stupid. Uh, but there's this almost feverish fandom around Yeet, which which I've always found to be very interesting because, you know, I never quite got it. Like, why are people so obsessed with this guy? Why is there like a, a cult following for this guy? Like, he doesn't seem that interesting. The music isn't that fascinating. Like, I'm. Just didn't quite understand it. Now, I... 
have to say I kind of get it now. Uh, on this latest record, Afterlife, um, I guess Yeet kind of clicked for me. And I don't know if I can necessarily take my newfound appreciation for him back to older stuff, because I, I, I've tried and it's still not good. But on this new record, he's kind of tapped into this very interesting level of uh, <laughs> absurdity in hip-hop music, I'd say. Um, a lot of the times on this record, the music gets really, really weird and borderline experimental. Um, for example, so he brought in a few, we'll call alter egos into this record. Um, the record has one feature, okay? 22 songs, one feature. The one feature being NBA Youngboy, who actually does a great job of kind of um, emulating this rage style and, and, and fits in quite well with the music because he's a pretty chaotic person as well, so it makes sense. But, for example, um, he kind of donned some alter egos and subbed them in as quote-unquote features on this record. And there's this one song in particular called Now featuring, and I quote, La Geeky, who again is, is just an alter ego of Yeet, which is four and a half minutes of just this kind of same hypnotizing loop with pitched up chipmunk vocals kind of reverbed and, and mixed down happening in the background. And it's really fucking weird. Like, it's strange music. Um, so, like, to me, I find it very interesting that, for example, um, you know, a 14-year-old or, or kids in general are so uh, obsessed with this guy and his music because it's very strange stuff. And it, it, it shows kind of where, you know, music is, and especially hip-hop is for the younger generation. You know, this is a generation that is growing up with artists that are, say, like, post-young thug at this point. And, you know, if you think back to, like, weirdness in hip-hop, you know, it, it all kind of started with Lil Wayne. Um, obviously, he had a huge influence on just bringing weirdo-ness into hip-hop. And then, you know, Young Thug kind of took that and ran with it and, and you know, spawned this whole new generation of artists who have just been increasingly getting weirder and weirder and weirder. You know, you had Lil Uzi Vert, um, Playboy Cardio, I've already talked about. And now you have this new generation um, that's just taking the genre to whole new extremes in kind of abstraction, in absurdity, in what the music can possibly sound like. Um, I'm not saying that every song on here is a, you know, avant-garde masterpiece. You know, there are lots of songs that do follow more conventional structures, sound more like what you'd expect, you know, rage slash trap to sound like. But Yeet actually does a remarkable job of keeping it interesting all the same. Um, good example would be the song Mean Fiend, which I have listen to on repeat basically for the past few days it's 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 a fairly straightforward song in terms of you know this particular style uh but 
he manages to switch up his flow and, and add enough kind of weird vocal ticks that it's very compelling and, and very interesting and, and you kind of want to keep going back to it. And this is music that doesn't really rely on hooks to keep you engaged. Um, at least not in the you know conventional sense of a hook in something that is uh, you know melodically catchy. The hooks on this album are just like weird sounds that are interesting and you want to keep hearing if that makes any sense. Whether that be you know blown out bass and, and, and strange synth noises, um, or and for the most part, just you know strange choices. Uh, vocally on on behalf of Yeet, and he has a pretty interesting wide range here. Um, I mean, to the point where he even brought in alter egos onto some of these tracks to kind of you know capture these different sounds and, and different vocal inflections that he takes on. But you know, there's been a lot of way too bloated hip hop records that have come out in recent years. In fact, that's kind of the standard at this point. Like, if someone's releasing a hip-hop record, it's gonna have, you know, way too many songs, most of which are gonna be filler. You just come to expect it at this point, and, you know, you go into a hip-hop album, okay, I'm, I'm gonna like a few songs, the rest I'm never gonna listen to again, and you just kind of accept it at this point, that that's just the way that things are gonna be. But I gotta say, for a 22-long record with one feature, Yeet does a very good job of remaining compelling throughout the entire thing. And he does this by, you know, bringing in new sounds every now and then. Like, for example, the song None I'd Change, he brings in almost like a hip house style. Um, you know, it, it borders on dance song. The last song on the record, Myself, uh, is, is almost like a electronic rock song. So, He's obviously smart enough to know how to keep people engaged through long periods of time, um, creative enough to, you know, try out all these different vocal styles and inflections, uh, despite having essentially nothing to say lyrically. But no one's coming to this music for the lyrics anyway. Um, the lyrics are just kind of a means to an end, you know? Something that he can say in order to get down these really weird vocal stylings that he's doing. It's not about the lyrics at all, it's about how they're delivered. Um, yeah, so I was really not expecting to enjoy this record at all, and I've ended up in a place where I actually quite like it, and um, I would now consider myself a Yeet fan. Um, me and all the other 14-year-olds out there. So, coming in at number four for the month is Afterlife by Yeet. Okay, so coming in at number three for the month, we have the band See You Next Tuesday with the album Distractions. So, speaking of being 14 years old, um... This is one of those kind of MySpace era relic bands that were popular for that very, what we're going to call MySpace grind sound. Um, you know, really popularized by these guys, um, 
Job for a Cowboy, for example, you know, Ion Dissonance, all those bands that were huge when I was a teenager, kind of in the early 2000s, mid 2000s era. Um, bands that were just trying to be as heavy and ridiculous as possible without any real um, thought into songwriting or uh, <laughs> taste. For that matter. I mean, come on. The band is literally called See You Next Tuesday. So, I I was a fan of this genre back in the day. You know, again, I was 15 years old. So, um, the kind of stupidity appealed to me. But, you know, as I got older, I kind of realized just how kind of vapid the whole scene was. And how, uh, well, go with problematic a lot of those bands were at the time. And... This band is no exception. Let me give you some examples of some song titles from their debut record, um, which came out in 2007. Um, let's see. You've got... See, in, 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 it's hard because, like, I'm trying to look at the song titles, but they're all those ridiculous, like, sentence-long titles, so I can't even see the whole thing. But what do we got here? We've got... Let's go halvesies on a bastard. Um, how to survive a vicious cockfight. Um, here, we got a song here that's called Before I Die, I'm gonna fuck me a fish. Yeah, that's what the song's called. Before I die, I'm gonna fuck me a fish. So, it's just immature, stupid bullshit. So, what happens when a band whose kind of entire identity revolves around just making music as heavy and extreme and immature as possible uh, makes a record 15 years later, okay? So, first of all, you have to ask why are they even doing it? And the reason for this is that whole style of music that kind of like... Um, Again, I'm going to call it MySpace grind, that kind of like, um, you know, metalcore-influenced um, slam, whatever you want to call it, is kind of back in a big way now. Um, you know, popularized by bands like uh, Wrist Meets Razor, uh, CU Space Cowboy, which is funny, very similar band name. But yeah, that whole genre is back. Um, I mean, I don't really know who's listening to it, to be honest. But I think it's actually people like me. People who liked that style of music when they were younger. Um, and over the years have just kind of developed this taste for it again, you know? Is that nostalgia? Is it... I mean, nostalgia is really the only explanation I've got for it. But... There is a market for this kind of music again. But obviously society has changed quite significantly since, you know, the mid-2000s era. And you, you can't really get away with making songs that are overtly misogynistic or just, you know, extremely problematic in nature as the vast majority of those songs back in the day were. So, what do you do if you're a band like that? Well, you, you just gotta grow up. Um, 
And Distractions, this latest album by See You Next Tuesday, is the sound of a band that is very much grown up. Uh, they do take a lot of the, you know, stylistic, um, you know, notes from their early stuff. Again, this is some pulverizingly heavy music. Um, the songs are usually very short, ranging anywhere from 30 seconds to two minutes long. But they've also brought in a lot of kind of different influences. And you can tell that, uh, you know, what they're singing, singing, what they're screaming about and, you know, what these songs are about is about real pain and not just pain that's kind of been put on um, in order to appeal to stupid teenagers. Uh, yeah, there's like real emotion in this and not just manufactured emotion. Um, again, they've kind of brought in different sounds into uh, the mix as well, you know, incorporating a lot of uh, dark electronics, almost vaguely industrial. Um, the music is very sample heavy at times, which is nothing new. They, they, you know, did like to use samples back in those days, but instead of using, you know, really stupid samples, uh, just to kind of add to the shock lols factor of the music, um, the samples are tasteful and kind of add on to the themes that already exist in the music itself. And it all comes to a head in the last song called Strange Music, which is funny because I think I've said that exact phrase already this time. Um, which is a seven minute long dirge, which again, isn't necessarily out of question for a band like this back in the day, but it feels purposeful instead of just, oh, we need to make a long song. Um, let's just fill it with as much random bullshit as possible. No, this is, this is a dirge with a purpose, if you will. And by the end of the record, you kind of feel like, okay, so this is what it sounds like when immaturity grows up. And when you take a genre that was inherently steeped in, you know, hormones and, and kind of teenage angst and all this kind of stuff and you apply it to a group of late 30 year olds this is kind of what you get and they sound better than ever because of it they kind of sound like an actual real band worth taking seriously um instead of yet another joke band uh on a bill of 20 others that sound exactly like them and it's probably just me having that kind of connection to that genre from the past but I find this music very compelling and, and very easy to listen to, you know, despite it's very difficult to listen to nature, I keep going back to it, you know, and it's a short record, so it's very easy for me to just put it on again once I've gotten it over. Um, you know, it there's a weird comfort to this music for me. Uh, reminds me of being young, reminds me of, a, you know, that, that, that feeling of vitality where the only way that I can really express how I'm feeling or the only thing that really makes sense to me and connects to me is this really ugly abrasive music because it's the only way that it's the only thing that's really it's like my 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 thoughts and what's going on in my head in audio form you know so I guess it's just nice to be able to hear that uh, 
you know, 15, 20 years later and still be able to have that connection. So coming in at number three for Feb 2023, we have See You Next Tuesday Distractions. Okay, let's talk about some mentions. These are the mentions. Okay. Uh, this is the okay episode where I just be saying okay all day. The dishonorable mention for the month goes to Paramore. This is why. <laughs> I would love for you to answer that question, uh, Paramore. Why? <laughs> Why? Why did you make this? Why did you decide to go in this direction? Why did you make these songs? Why did you think this would be a good idea? So, I'm sure you all know who Paramore is at this point. Uh, Haley Williams fronted ex-emo band turned uh, other kinds of music band that, uh, you know, has gotten weirdly popular as the years have gone on, kind of um, surpassing most of their Warped Tour peers in critical and commercial relevance. And a lot of that is because they've vastly changed their sounds from the kind of emo punk of their beginnings, um, you know, trading that in for uh, Power Pop on 2017's After Laughter, for example. Um, and Haley Williams kind of establishing herself as, a, a, you know, a fairly respected singer-songwriter with um, her collaborations with other people and some of her solo outings. So, you know, despite what you would have thought at the time, Paramore has kind of weirdly stayed relevant and, and stayed in the picture. Um, and that's because of a lot of tasteful moves on the band's ha behalf. Um, maybe a little bit also because of, um, you know, the kind of drama surrounding the band and Haley Williams herself, uh, what with, you know, the falling out with the ex-band member, her, uh, divorce from the guy from Newfound Glory, you know, they've always kind of managed to stay in the picture for better or for worse up until this point. And I've never been a fan but I, I did respect their turn um, on After Laughter. It seemed like a logical place to get to, um, making kind of catchy, uh, you know, propulsive power pop. It made sense, it sounded good, you know, and they got the job done. So when they decided to make the switch to twitchy post-punk on this record, I couldn't help but ask myself, um, why the fuck would you do that? So you've got one of the most, you know, recognizable and acclaimed um, vocalists in a band right now, Haley Williams, who has a fantastic voice, okay? She has a great voice, everyone knows it, um, and, and it's, you know, distinctive in its kind of warbly way, um, she has a great voice. So. Why would they kind of make this shift 
to a genre where great vocals are kind of the opposite of the point. Um, Post-punk, and especially in its modern form, is almost more like talking music, you know? It, it, it involves a lot of tight drums, um, you know, angular guitar riffs, and almost spoken word vocals that occasionally will, you know, break out into singing on choruses or whatnot. So when that happens, when you're kind of downplaying the voice and great vocals, what you're left with is a need for extremely strong lyricism to, you know, give the tracks life and really make them count for something. Now, want to reiterate for the sixth time or so, Haley Williams is a fantastic vocalist. Now, she's never been the greatest lyricist. Uh, you know, she's kind of infamous for her, you know, slut-shaming lyrics from the early Paramore days. All good, you know, she's acknowledged it. It's fine. Um, but that's kind of the extent of what she's been known for in terms of her lyrics is kind of the problematic nature of the early lyrics. Um, she's never really been an acclaimed lyricist, uh, you know, more so getting by on the strength of her, again, incredible vocals and, uh, you know, her great uh, counterparts in her cast uh, in the rest of her band to really add life to the music. So now on this record, the whole thing is just based on, well, at least as far as I got to, because I'm gonna be honest with you guys, I couldn't finish it because it was that bad. But the first five songs or so that I did manage to hear, very much uh, downplaying singing, upplaying, kind of talking, and even the choruses were more kind of shouted instead of actually sung. And I just don't get it. Why? It's like, it's like you're, it's like you've cooked this delicious steak dinner and you have the world's greatest steak knife to cut it up with, but you've chosen to use the butter knife instead. And now you've ruined the entire meal because no matter how good that steak is, you can't cut it properly, <laughs> you know? And you're too frustrated with the act of actually, you know, trying to eat the steak that the, how, no matter how good the steak is, it doesn't matter because it's just overshadowed by that. And it's just so frustrating because you had that really good steak knife right there. You could have just used that. But no, you made the weird decision to use a butter knife and then you just went and fucked the whole thing up. Does that make sense? Because that's kind of what I feel like when I'm listening to this. It's like, why why would you go this direction? Like, I, I get if you like this kind of music, sure. I, like, I get if you want to dabble in it, you know? Sure, maybe throw a song or two in there that's, you know, the block party light style that you're trying to go for. But for God's sakes, you have Haley Williams on your team, you know? Why aren't you making songs that have singing in it? Why are you relying on the strength of her extremely cringeworthy lyrics 
to carry these songs forward. And I respect wanting to get political, I do. But when the lyrics are so ham-fisted and on the nose, it's like, damn, like you're making me want to do all the things that you're singing against because I'm just so frustrated with how these songs sound. I, I don't like picking on bands that I don't even really like in the first place when it comes to these dishonorable mentions, but I've, I've respected Paramore. I respect this kind of arc that they've been on and I don't know why they went and fucked it up with this record. Uh, you know, I hope they're happy. I hope this is what they wanted to make. I hope that weird creative desire to create this kind of music has been fulfilled. I hope they're happy with the, uh, the end product. Because no one else is. You know, I'm not just speaking on my behalf here. This is a pretty widely accepted fact that this is a bomb. So, who knows what's next? Uh, I mean, luckily for them, they're a band that has enough goodwill that people will stick with them. Um, and you know what? Maybe we can just forget this ever happened. So, the dishonorable mention for the month is This Is Why by Paramore. Why indeed. Okay, the mention for the month is the record Quest for Fire by Skrillex. Yeah, that Skrillex. Um, so Skrillex returned after a many year absence with a pair of records that dropped a few weeks ago. And um, this is only his second actual full length. I mean, well, second and third, because he did release two. But I'm only going to be talking about one of the two today, because uh, the second one isn't that good and isn't that interesting and not worthy of talking about. But it's fascinating to think that Skrillex, a guy who was monstrously influential in the, uh, you know, very late 2000s, early 2010s, by basically single-handedly bringing the bro-step style of dubstep to the mainstream and completely taking over the underground with that sound actually has very little output to his name. Um, there's the Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites or whatever the EP is called um, from that kind of bro-step heyday. Uh, there was Recess, his first official full-length under the Skrillex moniker that he released a few years later. And then nothing until just a few weeks ago. <clears throat> and a large part of that absence has been because he's been dealing with some personal stuff. Whatever it is, you know, um, he's back now. And he's been back in a big way, you know, he, uh, he did a show at Madison Square Garden a week or two ago with Fred again and Fortet, and the whole thing was like a five hour long rave at MSG, which is pretty fucking incredible if you think about it. Anyway, the point being, Skrillex is back, he's here, um, and while being an absolute adamant despiser of that particular strain of dubstep that he uh, 
kind of forcefully brought into the world and spawned many, 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 many extremely sub-tier uh, knockoff DJs and producers in his wake. I still kind of respect him because, again, he was able to have this much influence on the genre despite not doing that much in it. Um, I respect that he has kind of been a music lifer. Again, for those who don't know, he was the front man from, from first to last uh, for their first few initial records. So he's a guy that's earned his respect whether you like it or not. So when the new record dropped, Quest for Fire, I, I had to check it out because, you know, it, all this talk of he's been gone for so long, you know, Skrillex's big return, you know, is this going to be Dubstep's return? Is he going to kind of dabble in different genres? You know, he's hanging out with Fortet all the time and stuff like that. Um, you know, you think about, and I guess I let this out, his collaboration with Diplo, uh, the Jack U record from the mid-2010s, uh, um, was a huge hit, very, very big um, in the mainstream, you know, with those Justin Bieber collaboration tracks. You know, this is a guy that clearly knows what he's doing. So for him to come back in this kind of big comeback way, you got to check it out. If you're a fan of electronic music at all, you've, you're, you're kind of compelled and inclined to see what Skrillex is up to. So that brings us to the actual album itself. Now... Here's the thing, okay? And I've had this discussion with a few people now. The songs on this record aren't great. Skrillex is not a great songwriter. Um, and that's ultimately where the record kind of lacks the most and where he could improve. And that's kind of where I think the Jack U record had a lot of success because he was working with Diplo, he was working with Justin Bieber, you know, he was working with songwriters, people who have an emphasis on creating good songs. Um, that's where he needs to work on more. And you know what? It's okay if you don't have that natural innate gift for songwriting. You know, that's what songwriters are for. Like there's a whole industry of people who literally just write songs. That's all they do. Um, I'd encourage him to uh, seek those people out. And the reason why I think it's important for him to do that is because I do believe there is a lot of merit in his music. The reason being, in terms of just pure production, he has got to be one of the greatest producers on the planet. And again, this is coming from a guy who was proudly anti-Skrillex back in the day. Like, really, really did not like that shit, did not like the culture that he spawned, hated all of that. But listening to this record, I am very confident in saying he is one of the world's greatest producers. The sound design on these songs is just unbelievable. Like, this thing sounds so good. And you can tell that this is a guy that absolutely loves the craft of producing music. 
The attention to detail in every single second of this record is insane. Like, this sounds like it took him, and I mean, it did, I guess, but years to make because every everything is just so meticulously placed, meticulously mixed. Um, it just sounds so, so, so good. And this is why it kind of breaks my heart that the songs aren't that good themselves because if he had actually worked with good songwriters and created some good melodies, some good choruses, you know, some great hooks or whatever maybe, this could be one of the best records ever. <laughs> like it sounds so good, but the songs aren't that good. It's a weird kind of paradox where like I'm not listening to the music because of the music, per se. Like, I'm listening to it for the extremely meticulous detail to the sounds that I'm hearing. Um, it's a really weird effect. And it reminds me, in a ways, of kind of the kind of, I'll call it the post-Skrillex era, where producers themselves were kind of having a moment and release, releasing you know, producer records. Like, think of artists like, um, like Shlomo, for example, where, uh, you know, the whole idea was, hey, I'm gonna make this album of just, like, really cool sounds, you know? Uh, and, and they weren't as much songs as they were just kind of, like, experiments in sound design in the forms of songs. This is, like, the absolute pinnacle of that kind of music except he's brought in vocalists and he's brought he's, he's actually attempted to make songs um but the songs just aren't good but like i'll tell you like if you got a nice set of headphones or a good sound system at home just listen to this thing and listen to the craft that this guy has done in this record because I, I I don't think of any I've heard anything that sounds this good before. So Skrillex, my guy, go and work with some songwriters, okay? Work on some melodies, work on some good lyrics, some good hooks, whatever it may be, because you really are one of the greats, you know. And I mean, think about him hanging out with. You know, all the, the great producers of the world. Like, he, he gets the respect that he deserves. But if you want us to actually listen to your songs and not just show up to your DJ sets, you need to get some good songwriting intact. So, yeah. The mention for the month is the album Quest for Fire by Skrillex. And for the honorable mention for the month, we have, what do we have? Right. We have the album Shook by Algiers. And maybe part of the reason why I, I for a moment there, couldn't remember exactly what the record was is because if I'm being honest with you guys, I haven't listened to the whole thing yet. Um, I probably never will. 
But I wanted to bring it up and I wanted to put it in this honorable mention slot because even though I don't really feel compelled to listen to it, the first few songs that I did listen to, I can really tell that this is, to the band anyway, extremely important music. And I can tell that to a certain subsection of listeners, this would be extremely important to them. Uh, it's highly political music. Um, it is kind of an omnivorous album in that it is kind of, you know, has its foundations in, uh, you know, hip hop and post-punk, but it's really bringing in so many other styles and the list of collaborators on this record is so long and, and so impressive. I mean, you've got a song that has Backwash and Billy Woods on the same track. It's, 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 it's cool. Conceptually, it's so cool, but there's just something about it that I listen to and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't really, I don't really care for this. I don't really want to listen to this, but like, I almost feel guilty because I feel like I should want to. Like, I feel like the amount of care that has been put into this record, the amount of effort, the amount of thought uh, by not just the band, but by all the collaborators, all the people involved in it is so impressive, you know? I just wish I wanted to listen to it more, because I don't. <laughs> I'd rather listen to Yeet. <laughs> um, but if you're the kind of person out there that uh, likes, you know, Zach De La Roca, who is on one of these songs, go for it. If you're a person who is a fan of Run The Jewels, this is probably your album of the year. Like, this is what I'm saying making sense? It's very serious music. So if you like music that's really serious, you know, and really means it, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna eat this shit up. But maybe I just wasn't in the mood for that kind of stuff this month, you know? Um, I don't know. And, you know, maybe, maybe later on this year, uh, I'll be in the right headspace to listen to this and it will be my favorite record ever. Who knows? But for now, it's just not hitting for me. But I can tell that it's like I can tell that it's good it's just not connecting with me and hopefully some listeners out there will hear what I'm saying give the record a chance and absolutely love it in fact I know that if listeners out there give the record a chance they will absolutely love it um, I just don't I'm allowed to respect things and not necessarily like them right that's just that's just how I feel it is what it is. So, coming in for the honorable mention for this month, 2023, we have Shook by Algiers. These are the mentions. Okay. Back to the uh, numerical list. Number two for the month, 2023, is... Oh, I'm just looking at some squirrels fighting in this tree outside. Oh, that was cool. Number two for the month is... Desire I Want to Turn Into You by Caroline Polachek. 
So, Ms. Polachek used to be in uh, indie pop band Chairlift, uh, and boy has she come a long way from the days of uh, opening for Ariel Pink <laughs> on his tours. Uh, Polachek has carved out kind of her own career in the, we'll call it, weird pop realm. Um, you know, she's worked as a songwriter on Beyonce records. You know, she's collaborating with Grimes and Dido on this record. She's really established herself um, at kind of the forefront of the underground, not-so-underground pop music. And she released this really obnoxious tweet. <laughs> released a tweet. She posted this really obnoxious tweet uh, a month or two ago where she was basically saying, I'm so sick of being called this generation's Kate Bush. I'm this generation's Caroline Polachek, which is like, ugh, what a horrible, disgusting thing to say. It's it's just so cringeworthy. But I kind of get where she's coming from at the same time. Um, you know, her and Kate Bush make similar types of pop music that's very forward-thinking, um, very grounded almost in mythology. Uh, you know, bringing in interesting styles that you wouldn't otherwise hear in pop music, um, like Balearic sounds, um, ambience, things like this. Uh, they write songs that are ostensibly pop songs in that they're, you know, catchy and follow, for the most part, somewhat straightforward song structures. Uh, but they're not afraid to get weird with it, too. Uh, so this is Caroline Polachek's second solo album um, under her birth name. And it, it's easily the best music she's released in her career, no matter what moniker she's been under. Um, it kind of feels like her just embracing everything, you know, embracing pop music without having to worry about the hang-ups of being an ex-indie artist. You know, finds her embracing otherworldly sounds without worrying, like, oh, what's this white girl from Brooklyn gonna sound like, you know, singing over a, you know, horchata track. You know, like, it's, it's her unafraid, it sounds like, for really the first time. Um... And it's really hit after hit after hit on this record. Uh, and, and that's kind of what I really admire about it, is how consistent it is. There's no two songs that really sound the same on this record, but they all are either good, really good, or excellent. Um, my personal favorites being Blood and Butter um, and the last song. Billions, two songs that I really think are some of the best songs released this year. But again, like for example, like she's not afraid to get a little bit weird with it. Like for example, Blood and Butter ends with a um, what's that instrument called? Bagpipe, bagpipe solo. Uh, Billions has an outro featuring a children's choir. So you know, she takes risks and they pay off every time on this record. It's it's actually very impressive um, how willing she is to experiment while also 
making sure that the songs are good and that everything sounds great. You know, usually there's a misfire or two when you have this kind of creative abandon that she's succumbed to on this record, but there's not really any, honestly. It's a, it's a solid listen from front to back. And, you know, it reminds me of uh, almost what I had wished uh, Charlie XEX, what her last album could have been. Because Charlie reminds me a lot of Caroline Polachek. Well, well, Charlie is a little bit more enamored with, you know, more Euro sounds and, and kind of being more clubby. Um, you know, she's always been one to embrace the weirder side of pop, um, especially hyper pop. Um, but on her last record, Crash, it it was just kind of boring. Um, you know, there were a few good songs, but the whole thing really would just kind of washed over you and, and doesn't leave too much of an impact. Uh, why that is, I don't know. I mean, I, I discussed that on last year's podcast. I don't remember what I said. I'm sure it was very insightful, though, if you want to go and dig up that episode. Uh, but this record is, is, is successful, you know? It, it's just enough pop. It's just enough experimentation. It, it's just enough of everything uh, that it's tasteful. It's extremely catchy. Um... Her, her lyrics, if you're a lyrics person, are compelling enough that you kind of want to dig deeper into what it is that she's trying to get at. Uh, she comes across as a, a charming, interesting person. Yeah, it, it's just a win, basically, in, in every way I can think of. And in, in kind of everything you can hope for from a pop record. Or at least a pop record that doesn't necessarily... Uh, you know, work within the confines of, you know, R&B or hip-hop. Because, you know, as we saw with the Doja Cat record from a few years ago, you can still make pop music that is really, really good while still being very, very mainstream, as long as you're willing to kind of incorporate those other genres as well. Um, and this is a really, really good pop record that isn't concerned with being mainstream. Um, yeah. So, coming in at number two... For this month, 2023, fuck it, I'm just gonna say, coming in for February 2023, is Desire I Want to Turn Into You by Caroline Polachek. Okay, another long one, sorry, whatever, deal with it, you're used to it by now. Coming in at number one for February, I think that's the best I've said it yet, this whole podcast, is the record All Fiction by Pyle. So, Pyle is a Boston-based post-hardcore band. Uh, I hope you really got the, like, five question marks uh, after I said the genre there um, through my voice inflection and I'll get into why I was so adamant on uh, inflecting that way soon enough uh, they've been around um, since well they've been around for a while 20,008 or so 
uh, releasing their debut record in 2009. And they've been a very solid, I don't want to say cult band, but, you know, they've got a very loyal fan base that they developed through um, very, very extensive touring um, and a very DIY approach to music making, music releasing, and touring, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. They're a very working class band that, you know, um, shows up and makes great tunes, puts on a great live show, and you can always rely on them to release great music at a consistent clip, um, you know, every two years or so. So this is their, I don't know, like eighth or ninth record, maybe? Maybe not even that much. Maybe their seventh. I'm not sure. I'm <laughs> just spewing bullshit on this podcast all the time. Um, and it's a fascinating record that has really made me think a lot about why it is that we like music. And, and what compels us to listen to music? What compels us to say, oh, I like this? You know? So, the way that I see it, there are a few different avenues into liking something. Specifically music. Let's, let's, let's kind of confine this discussion to music for now. Um, the most obvious route into enjoyment of music, or, you know, enjoyment of any kind of art, is that it makes you feel good. Um, and that's what... Again, that's what that's what pop music is kind of engineered to do. It's music that is very meticulously crafted to make you feel good, to you know release dopamine. You know the the melodies are almost scientifically put together to make your brain go, yeah, I like that. Um, so that's kind of one approach into getting into music is that immediate gratification that you can get from listening to it because of how catchy it is or you know how the lyrics can relate directly to your life you know and and, and that's how you know like singer songwriter kind of music is is appealing to people you know music that speaks directly to them through really vivid or you know effective lyricism or you know maybe it's uh through the route of catharsis and that's what a lot of heavy music does you know it it makes you it 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 takes and i mentioned this before it kind of takes the chaos and the turmoil sorry the chaos and turmoil that you're experiencing in your head and it it exists in a tangible form, you know, it gives you something to relate to, something to feel like you're not alone in experiencing the, uh, you know, the messy emotions that you're feeling. So, yeah, there are a lot of different ways to begin to enjoy music. Now, this record does it in a different way, or at least it did it in a different way for me. So Pyle has always made rock music, for sure. You know, they're, they've been a band. Uh, you know, you got your guitar guy, your, your bass guy, your drum guy, 
you know, you've got your, your synth happening in some songs as well. Um, and they've always been very recognizable as a band making rock-style music. Um, now, it's, it's, it's unconventional, you know, they have a knack for writing atypical song structures, atypical riffs, um, atypical melodies, whatever it may be. But you're always able to kind of eventually figure out exactly what it is that they're doing. And, you know, a big part of, I think, enjoying music and, and getting to learn to love music is just uh, familiarity. You know, um, you know, like our, our favorite songs that we have. These are songs that we're familiar with. They're songs that we've taken time, we've spent with them, we've gotten to know them. So there's that, you know, that gratification of, oh, I know what the next part is. You know, I can sing along with this. Um, you know, that, that's a part of, of growing to love something, growing to appreciate something. is just getting more familiar with it. And again, that's how pop music gets away with a lot of what it does is um, most of the melodies and most of the chord changes and all that kind of stuff we've already kind of heard before and we can't necessarily place it but there's that like innate understanding of the music of what you're hearing and that's what appeals you to it is it's like oh yeah I figured this out you know um, this record just defies all of that and I probably listened to this record six or seven times before I really felt like I understood what was happening and what the record was doing and, and what they were trying to achieve through this music so the record itself is almost like a puzzle that you're trying to figure out as you're listening to it um, the record of shoes any kind of typical song structure, any kind of, um, save for a few songs, any kind of recognizable rock music template, um, in favor of abstraction and, and music that follows stream of consciousness rather than, you know, predictable patterns, you know, um, choruses, if there are any, turn into bridges, which turn into more bridges to different bridges. You know, it it's music that you listen to it and initially it doesn't really make sense. Um, I'm reminded of uh, that Ad Nauseam record from 2020 or 2021 rather, where, I mean, completely different style of music and a very very extreme version of this but I remember listening to that record and being like how did they write let alone record this because there's no discernible flow it just kind of goes from part to part to part and each part itself is chaotic and I just don't understand how you would write like a six minute long song where nothing seems to have any connection to what's happening next um, but in an intriguing way that's kind of how I felt about this record, listening to it. Um, I didn't understand it, but it was intriguing and compelling enough in what it was trying to do that I didn't feel intimidated by it, and I didn't feel like, no, oh, this isn't worth 
trying to understand. It made me want to go back to it. It made me want to understand it. It felt like a challenge that I needed to overcome. And so I went back to it and I went back to it again and I went back to it again. So, and now this is my point about a, a, a whole new avenue into enjoying something is this approach where the music itself is kind of shrouded in enough mystery that you want to understand it. And the only way you can understand it is by repeat listening, listening to it over and over and over again. And I think, I really believe that if you listen to something over and over and over again, you're going to start to like it just on a subconscious level of your brain starting to be able to predict what's going to happen next and, and starting to understand the music in that kind of you know, rush of dopamine, that kind of, you know, experience of, ah, I get it now. Or like, ah, for the first time, I know what's going to happen next here in this section. And how, you know, gratifying and relieving it is to finally understand something that you didn't understand before. And that's what happened to me with this record. Um, so now here we are, you know, I'm probably again, like eight or nine listens into this record at this point, and it's probably my favorite record of the year this so far. A, because I think it's a very fascinating and interesting record, but also B, it's probably the record that I've listened to the most now. And so, just inherently, I love it because it's something that I'm the most familiar with at this point. So, I think any record that sets you off into this kind of, you know, philosophical internal dialogue about what it means to enjoy music and, and, and why we enjoy music and how we get to a point where we learn to love something, uh, I think it speaks to the depth of the record and the depth of the music uh, that it would elicit all these kind of thoughts and emotions in me uh the record itself is great it's really cool um it's probably well i know it's by far the most out there music that pile has ever made and people are mixed on it i've seen just as many bad reviews as i've seen good reviews for the record um but i'm in the i'm in the latter category i think that what they've done here is very very interesting and, and and you know borderline genius and it's really making you rethink what is rock music what what is a band what is pile really you know and anything that can kind of bring you to this higher level of thinking uh i mean isn't that what art's supposed to do at the end of the day yeah, it's supposed to make us feel these surface level emotions, but I really think that true art, you know, brings up these deep questions from deep inside you. And that's what this record has done for me. So give it a listen. You're going to be put off the first time. You're not going to understand what's happening, but hopefully you're like me. And instead of giving up on it and moving on to, you know, listening to Yeet again for the 30th time, 
you decide to spend more time with it, to try to understand it. And it's in that attempt to understand that's kind of where the love will grow and blossom over time. So, coming in at number one for February 2023 is All Fiction by Pyle. Whoo! Good times. That was a fun one. You know, I felt like the January episode, I was, I was feeling a little bit rusty. You know, I was feeling a little bit like, mm, like I'm not fully confident in, in, in my ability to do this, to continue doing this. Um, I'm not confident that the things I have to say are even remotely interesting to anyone but myself. Uh, but, you know, recording this time around, I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm feeling truly back in the swing of things in PH5 land, and I'm feeling excited and ready for the rest of the year. So thank you, as always, to all my listeners. Um, give me a high five next time you see me. And I hope everyone's doing well. To all my North American slash Northern Hemisphere listeners, folks, we're almost out of we're almost out of the the garbage era of winter. Just gotta hold on a little bit longer. We can do it. So thank you for listening. This is Phil May signing off PH5. Goodbye.